Welcome back to another episode of Somewhere Between, a podcast made by Asian adoptees for Asian adoptees. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of our T-Series, short for The Engaged Adoptee. In this series, we will have discussions with adoptees who are, in any kind of way, engaged in the adoptee community. I'm Ace, and today I'm joined by Hannah May Grizzly. Hannah May is the founder of Let's Chat Law, co-founder of Three Cups of Cha, and exceptionally involved in the adoptee community by being the co-founder of Subtle Asian Adoptee Traits Europe, an adoptee representative for Catch All, and the UK lead for China's Children International. Superwoman has been thrown around a lot whenever your name is mentioned. Welcome, Hannah May. Thank you very much for having me. So just to introduce myself, my name is Hannah May. I was born in Guangdong province in 1996, and then I was adopted in 1997 by some British parents, and I've grown up in the UK near London ever since. So because of COVID-19, I've actually been living back with my parents which has been really fun and entertaining during the pandemic. But actually, I've been very grateful to be able to move back with them. And right now, I just finished my legal studies. And then I'll start my job as a trainee lawyer in autumn of this year. That's awesome. You've been doing a lot of things. Thank you for that introduction. So if I understand correctly, you just recently started to reclaim your birth name. Please tell us more about that. Yes. So I had to really remind myself to introduce myself as Hannah May. But this is something that I made the recent decision or the active decision to do. Since school, you know, primary school, secondary school, even university, I've always introduced myself as Hannah just because it's shorter. And also, I guess, because it avoids the complications of having to explain adoption and why I've got a double barred name, where the May comes from, etc. But I realised that in the world of work, you know, it would be nice to go by my full name. And also, in some ways, it does the opposite. And it actually kind of flags out the fact that I'm actually an Asian woman, because my name, Hannah Grizzly, wouldn't give any indications as such. So yeah, it's also just part of, I think, my journey as an adoptee, kind of just trying to reclaim my identity as an adoptee and also as an Asian person, because I think that's something I'm only really coming to grips with in like the last year or so. Yeah, I think that makes sense a lot. And also, as you mentioned, to kind of flag that you're an Asian person as well, because I recently started to reclaim my birth name as well. But obviously, Ace is maybe not as Asian sounding, so it doesn't make the same impact in that way, unfortunately. But yeah, that's cool. So as I mentioned at the top, you're quite engaged in the adoptive community. So how long have you been engaged in the community? So I've been a member of Catural, which is the UK. Uh, it was originally Chinese, but now it's intercountry adoptee organization, which supports families and adoptees who were originally adopted from China, but now, you know, everywhere internationally. So yeah, that I've been, my family have been members since I was younger, but it wasn't until I guess I got to university at the age of 18 that I really started getting more involved with Catural. And then as a result, I got involved with CCI, China's Children International, and now SAT Europe. And as I think I've I've mentioned in past conversations with Ace, I don't think I've actually really started kind of reclaiming my identity and actually engaging as an adoptee in the adoptee community as opposed to just just a volunteer. You know, and, and by that I mean actually, you know, having and holding like adoptee spaces so that people can talk about adoption, if that makes sense. That's only really been in the last year or so. Yeah, I think what you're doing is really admirable and it's really important i think also like especially it feels like there's 
there has been a lot of things that has been started up like just recently, like also this podcast, for example, in the past year or so. And yeah, I think we're really starting to find that there is a community of adoptees out there. And it's really helpful that we have more people who are engaged and, and trying to, to get the word out there in that sense. So actually, how did you find out about the CCI, for example? So as I was saying, I actually only recently got involved. I actually became a CCI summer intern. I think it was in the summer of 2019. But before that, I graduated university in 2018. And then I actually went off to live in Hong Kong for a year. And through that, I made two really good friends, shout out to Lily and Jade, if they're listening, um, in Hong Kong. And we met through the CCI Facebook group. But I'd only found that out because I would realized that year that I actually wanted to get more involved with Catch All. So I'd gone onto the internet, onto Facebook and, you know, tried to find some adoptee related groups. And that's how I found CCI. And obviously they have a really amazing community there. And then when I decided to leave Hong Kong, move back to the UK, I knew I wanted to do something in the summer because I like being busy. And I applied to volunteer as a CCI intern. And one of my projects was to to set up the CCI UK chapter because it wasn't originally an American organization. And I realized that there are a lot of Chinese adoptees who might have fallen outside of the catch-all, which is the UK intercountry adoptee organization. They might have fallen out of the catch-all kind of, I don't want to say net, but, you know, umbrella, let's say, and that they might, you know, want to get more involved in more like young adult or adult activities instead of the more family focused events that catch-all runs. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Yeah, so that's very interesting. So actually, could you tell us more like what does that entail exactly? So originally, the summer internship was just for three months in the summer. And I actually like a buddy or supervised by one of the CCI co-founders, Charlotte, who is so lovely and amazing. And she's done so much for the Chinese adoptee and the intercountry adoptee community in general. So we worked together to kind of set up the first meetups which was in London, in London's Chinatown, which was really cool. I think there were seven adoptees who joined us, which was really, really lovely. We had dinner and then I think we went to a bar because all of us were over 18. And yeah, it was just really lovely to meet some adoptees who I'd never met before and kind of grow the network. And then from then on, we did a movie, Aquafina's movie called The Farewell came out. So we went to see that together. And then we also went ice skating. And then finally, we celebrated Lunar New Year in January 2020. And then I had some amazing more plans and projects and ideas, but obviously COVID-19 got in the way of that. But it's been, yeah, I've really enjoyed working with CCI. And also it's been great trying to, you know, bridge the gaps, let's say, between Catal and CCI as they kind of cater towards different kinds of adoptees or members of the adoptee community. So I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's really, that's really cool. I think also like being in several organizations like that, you can really weave a net like in between both of them in a good way. So, oh, I also just wanted to say like a sign up. If anyone hasn't seen The Farewell yet, it's uh, definitely recommend that. So that's a great movie. It's a real tea tricker. Yeah. You mentioned that you had been in Hong Kong and also like doing some research before this, I've seen that you've been on exchange as well in China. Is that correct? Yeah. So I studied French, Mandarin and business at university in Birmingham in the UK. And as part of my degree, I got to go on a year abroad and I chose to go spend most of my time in China. And I was able to study at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I especially wanted to go to Beijing because, yes, it has terrible pollution, uh, although that's getting better, I hear. But also it has so much culture and a rich history. That was definitely so much fun to explore 
yeah, during my weekends off. And also it was a great nightlife. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I got to do that. And then when I was out there, I also decided to push myself out of my comfort zone and do some solo traveling. And I think I got to about 30 odd states or sorry, provinces in China, some with friends, some by myself. And yeah, I developed like a, a weird love for the Chinese sleeper trains, which are an experience, let's say. Oh, I feel like you you should elaborate on that. Yeah, so so sleeper trains are a lot of fun. So you have like different types of trains. There's an incredible high speed rail network in China. So you have slow trains and normal trains and fast trains. So the high speed trains can get you, for example, from Beijing to Shanghai in I think four hours. And I can't remember how many miles that is, but it's very far if you look at it on the map. It's so impressive. It's almost, you know, I think it's the same as flying, except Chinese domestic flights are known to um you know, experience delays all the time. So that's why everyone takes the train. But the the slower trains and the, the normal trains, some of them have sleeper carriages. So if you're fancy, you can take the first class carriages, which are four people in, in a room. So if you're with friends, obviously, it's really nice. You know, you're all in a room together. There's no smoking or whatever. But if you want to travel second class, which is what most people do, you're in a carriage, a big carriage of lots of beds. So there's three beds per row. And so you can have the bottom bunk, which you can sit up in, and then the middle and then the top bunk. I actually preferred going in the top bunk because I'm very short. So I could actually sit up at the top of the bunk and then you weren't as disturbed as the bottom rows. And also because people just sat in your bed if you're on the bottom row. So it was actually quite fun kind of just watching everyone from, from the heavens as they go about their business. And yeah, the train conductor comes, the drinks and the food uh, trolleys come round um, and try and sell you lots of different things. And obviously you have to get along with your neighbours and chat with them and things like that. So I kind of like the anonymity of being an Asian adoptee, because even though I can speak Chinese that well, I could, you know, kind of experience it authentically. Whereas when I was with my friends, it was actually really funny because they'd be stared at, have those questions, things like that. So yeah, it was entertaining. And I think the longest one I did was 28 hours. So it was two nights and one day from Beijing to Chengdu with a friend, luckily. So that was actually really fun. Yeah. And um, we made friends with the family in like our in our row, which was really nice. And they had some cute kids. And they, I don't think they'd ever seen a Westerner. My friend was from the UK, so they'd never seen a Western before. Yeah. Um, and it was slightly cabin feverish, but 28 hours was just enough to say, you know, OK, I did this really cool amount of time on a sleeper train, but not enough to go crazy. I don't know how I would handle 28 hours on one train, but I've been on a bus for like 20, 20 hours once. So I guess the sleep. I think the buses would be worse. Better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. You get, I would get car sick. I wouldn't survive. <laughs> yeah. But that's really, oh, I've always wanted to, maybe not always, but I've wanted to go to China as well. And I guess everyone is really wanting to, to travel these days. But uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, I also wanted to ask since you came for a change in China and you're also adopted from from China was that intentional to to go there or was it just something that happened yeah it was intentional in a way but it's actually because when you get to 17 in the UK you have to start applying for universities and I'd originally wanted to study English literature but my English literature teachers didn't like me and it really put me off the subject and also I didn't like, you know, it, I actually really lost the love of reading during my A-levels. So I decided I wasn't going to do that. And I'd studied Chinese as an after school club throughout my secondary school time. So it just felt natural just to do something like languages. When I was 17, 18, I was really ready to move out and go, you know, explore and find myself in this 
world, this 18 plus world, especially because I was an August birthday. So, you know, I was always the baby. So it just felt like a natural choice to do French, uh, Chinese and business because I had no idea what I wanted to do in life. And I just thought this gives me, you know, an international aspect. It gives me some business some commerciality, which will hopefully make me employable. And also it'll just allow me to travel because I actually was so convinced at one point that I was going to take a gap year and go live in South America. Didn't happen, unfortunately. But my dad convinced me. He was like, do a year abroad. You'll enjoy it and you'll still get to travel. I still worked really hard. I, I tried to remind him often. It wasn't the same as a gap year where I was just traveling around for fun. I did have to study. I did get some internships, but I did also get to travel. So yeah, it was quite intentional. And yeah, I'm very glad I did not study English literature. <laughs> no offense to any English lit grads. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So while you were in China, did you do any birth family search or did you go to visit the orphanage you were born in? Yeah, so I, my parents came to visit me at Christmas time in Beijing, first time. And it was in the worst week of, worst week of the year for pollution. So I felt really bad. And then they actually got like a one year visa. So they were going to come back in the summer. But I actually have a brother who is my parents' birth child and he's younger than me. So at the time he was about 17, but he looked like 20. And I was, I think, 20 and I looked about 17. So I was. It's very annoying. And we frequently get mistaken for being boyfriend and girlfriend, much to my embarrassment. So I decided that actually my parents were uninvited to China and I wanted to take my brother on like a sibling bonding trip. So after having traveled during the spring festival break in February by myself and had such a great time traveling like more authentically in hostels and meeting lots of different people, I decided that I would take my brother on, uh, you know, his first ever backpacking trip. And also it was very helpful because he was able to carry all my bags because it was at the end of my year abroad. So we traveled from Beijing down to Shanghai. No, actually, sorry, I met him in Shanghai. And then we traveled through South China to Hangzhou. And we also went to my orphanage, which is in Guangdong province. And so, yeah, I got to take him on all the horrible trains. So he got a really authentic experience, which was quite funny. And yeah, everyone thought we were a girlfriend and boyfriend. And then when they realized we weren't, they were like, well, he's very handsome. And I was like, well, still my brother, still gross. So yeah, we went back together, which was really nice. I don't think I would have wanted to have gone back by myself. Yeah. And it was, it was a very strange experience because the only other time I'd gone back to my orphanage was when I was 10 in 2007. And so I was just too young to really, I appreciated my parents taking me, of course, but I was too young to really kind of register what was happening or what I should be feeling as an adoptee whereas this time around I actually could really process it and yeah it was quite sad it was a completely different place from where I was adopted from but the same place that I'd been to visit in 2007 so not much had changed and unfortunately most of the babies that were in the orphanage had learning difficulties or disabilities and things like that and so we're waiting for foreign adoption but obviously I think the Chinese government had tried to restrict that so it was quite it was quite sad, but having the Mandarin skills actually made me able to communicate better with the orphanage, I guess, managers and care workers. And I, we actually made friends with some of the, the care workers that were working there looking after the kids. And they actually took us out for dinner. And I think it broke down more barriers and it, it gave me like a very different insight into my orphanage than if my parents had gone, because I think they would have tried to roll out the red carpet a bit more. Whereas because it was just me and my brother and we weren't, you know, as important or we weren't, you know, as like senior, I think they would kind of let their girl down a little bit more. And so they were a bit more relaxed and friendly, which was really lovely. So we got to take, be taken out for dinner. I'm not unfortunately still in touch with them, but, you know, it, it was just a very different experience. And it kind of 
it kind of humanized the whole process and made me for like appreciate that you know obviously you hear some really tragic stories about orphanages but you know these people here actually did really care about the kids so that was nice yeah i think must have been a maybe eye-opening or like at least a very powerful like experience to also be able to as as you said like when you were 10 you probably couldn't like communicate with them and uh, now Mm -hmm. now you could yeah, it's very nice to to have done that with uh, with your brother as well. Did you ever like? Have you ever talked about adoption in general since he's your parents' biological child? Do you ever talk about that? Yeah. So actually, I remember the other reason why he came out was because he was doing an EPQ, which is an extended project that you do at the age of sixteen to eighteen in the UK. So he was actually going to do his about adoption and Chinese adoption because he'd studied China and geography or history. And obviously me being his sister, I was very useful for finding people to interview about this subject. So we did have some talks about that. And it was interesting because he came at it from an academic perspective and, you know, was able to bring quite a balanced view. And so, yeah, we did have chats, you know, about the fact that I came first and he was actually a miracle baby because my parents had actually tried IVF before and it hadn't been successful. And then they actually chose to adopt. They'd considered it before, but they'd obviously wanted to try IVF. But yeah, we have been able to have conversations about it. I think they've kind of, they fizzled out a little bit after that, uh, because that was, you know, almost four years ago now. But since my involvement with Catch All has become more active, and I've kind of done a bit more speaking, I think he's listened to some of the talks and he's actually yeah been more um you know asked a lot more questions and things like that which has been really nice because he I don't think he's ever really seen me as Chinese or like as adopted like he's just seen me as a sister and in fact there's a really funny story that I always tell when we were younger he was really upset and really jealous that I had an adoption day Uh, And I got a present and my parents used to like make me a cake and try and make it a really positive thing, which is obviously lovely. So he used to go around going, I want to be Chinese because obviously he thought Chinese people just got free cake or something. (laughs) And so we actually had to rename my adoption day family day and my brother had to get a present and then we both got a cake. And I was so annoyed. I was like, get a cake. He's not adopted. Um, So, yeah, the presents have stopped since we both reached 18, sadly. So he's not as, you know, um, needy in that sense. But yeah, he, he, we've never really like, I've never really felt there's that ex- distinction, which is, which is really nice. But obviously it does bring some of its own issues because sometimes he's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, you are Chinese. And he kind of forgets that. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's funny with the cake and everything. And yes, I, I think it's sad. Once you hit a certain age, you don't get cake anymore. You maybe don't get presents <laughs> either. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically you come back then to to Europe and you, you're you more engaged in the adoptive community. So that kind of also leads you into co-founding Saddle Asian Adoptive Traits Europe. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so I think the original global group called Saddle Asian Adoptive Traits began maybe, I think it was late, maybe 2019 or late 2018, I believe. So it's actually quite old. But I didn't find out about it until a lot later when I moved back from Hong Kong. And it's the same issue, not issue, but the same thing I realized with CCI, the US kind of chapters, which is where, you know, there's a massive Asian adoptee population in the US, uh, you know, as a result of the Korean War and obviously the one child policy and things like that. Vietnamese war as well. So it makes a lot of sense that a lot of these organizations which have been, you know, created by adoptees, you know, are, are in the US. 
But I've realized, especially through my involvement with Catch All, that I think the conversations that European and UK based Asian adoptees is actually very different to the ones that maybe American, Asian American adoptees are having. So I think part of the reason why I wanted to start a CCI UK chapter or and Ireland even, and also a subtle Asian adoptee traits Europe chapter is because I just felt we needed more space for adoptees in Europe. So I just think we're having different conversations, but also maybe at different stages in our lives and in our adoptee journeys. And also Obviously, you know, Europe has lots of different countries and cultures, but I think in some ways we still have some similarities, you know, in, in yeah, in, in our conversations and things like that, which is, is different to the US. So I think I spoke to Anna and I attended one of her Zoom calls in last year. And I was like, oh, I'd really like to. Originally, I wanted to start a CCI Europe chapter, but then I thought actually SAT Europe would be a better option because I didn't know how many European, Asian adoptees there were and I didn't know how many Chinese adoptees there were so I thought that it would be yeah it'd be better to have a more open group so yeah I hope that answers your question yeah no it totally does so so yeah I think it really does make sense because also like as you mentioned like there's a lot of different countries but we do have or at least I as a European I feel also very strongly that there is something that is connecting everyone together in Europe and also, mm-hmm. I think it's important, as you mentioned, to see and also like highlight that the discussions and what's happening in the US is different from what's happening in Europe as well. So I think definitely that it is a very good thing that SAT Europe has been started. I'm not only saying that because I'm also one of the <laughs> co-founders, but um, yeah, I think it's important to have something like that. And I think we're both really excited about growing the community even more and everything's going to happen going forward. Mm-hmm. So... Now we kind of established that you're engaged in like three different adoptee organizations and you also have several law projects that you have going on. And yes, you have a very busy schedule. So like, how do you keep everything organized? I think my phone, if if we didn't have smartphones, I think I'd be very lost. But Google Calendar is honestly my answer to everything. You know, Google Calendar and Google Drive. Actually, people take the mick out of me from catch-all, not saying their names, don't want to name and shame, but they laugh at my use of Google Drive. So, um, <laughs> but it, honestly, I think it's a lifesaver. I know we use it for SAT, we use it for catch-all, I use it for CCI as well. And it's just such a great tool just to keep everything in one place. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's that's how I survive. And also sometimes less sleep. Less sleep? Mm. Mm, that's uh... <laughs> Yeah, it's not a sustainable one right now. Uh, I can kind of get away with it right now because I'm still a student, but yeah, it won't work. But also, I think also the thing with, I think, all three organizations is actually I'm a very structure, logical person. So I actually like to build structures in place and like, you know, set up structures and, and organizations within the organizations themselves that you mean that even if, you know, I had to step back or even if I had to quit or leave or whatever, these projects and events and meetups would still be able to continue without me. So for Catchall, we've actually started an interns program. So that's really cool. And, you know, maybe I probably won't manage it forever. I'm enjoying doing it right now, but it's just a great way to get new ideas and new adoptees engaged with Catchall and see the value in it as well. But yeah, I've I've set it up so that, you know, it could continue running, you know, after I'm gone, it sounds like, <laughs> sounds really morbid. But you know what I mean? I think Google Drive also comes in handy for that. 
Yeah, definitely. I totally see what you mean as well, because I think it is important when starting things like this. And also, this is something that you've mentioned in talks we've had before, is that if you want something to be a long-term thing, I think it's very important, as you say, to, to kind of get these workflows or whatever to call it in place and all the guidelines on how to do things. Because then, as you say, also, if people move away, then like the, the spirit or the organization or community it can still move on because mm-hmm. it's it's more than... I mean, I would say organizations like that are the people, but it's also more than the people. So it, it needs that, that kind of balance. Mm-hmm. Also, all these tools, especially since I guess that you also work with uh, people who are not necessarily physically close to you, it helps to have all these tools online to manage everything. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to ask something because being part of so many organizations, I, I guess you meet a lot of people. So would you call yourself a uh, extroverted person or are you more of an introverted person I, I feel like it would be an extroverted person who does a lot of things where there's a lot of people involved all the time so i actually did the myers-briggs test i think you've probably heard of it the 16 personalities test i did it when i was in hong kong in 2018 and then i did it again last year in 2020 just halfway through lockdown and it's really interesting because i changed a lot And I'd actually gone from extroverted in 2018 or so to introverted over lockdown, which I think is probably, you know, a lot of people have actually felt that move, that shift in their personality because you're just not exposed to it so much. But I've always been, I think I shifted like 2%. So originally I was 51%, something ridiculous, like 51% extroverted and then 49% introverted. And now I've moved the other way. So I'm 49% (laughs) extroverted and then now 51% introverted. So I would say I'm claiming the title of ambivert, I think, because I love people and I love going to like parties and socializing. But at the same time, you know, sometimes I just need to lie down in a cold dark room with no one and just like my dog and my cat and just like, you know, just chill without humans. (laughs) So I'm definitely a bit of both. I think that's kind of a good balance, hopefully. Yeah, no, I think so too. And because also the reason why I wanted to ask as well is because you mentioned that you don't sleep a lot. And then I'm like, oh, but maybe if you are obviously not an expert on like introversion or extroversion, but just maybe then if you're very introverted and then you're doing all this interacting with a lot of people, then maybe you would need more time to like recuperate and rest and everything. But then it seems like you're not really doing that. So just, uh, yeah. Also, just making sure that you're staying healthy. (laughs) Yeah. It varies. You know, I say this, I was saying like, oh, I don't sleep that much. My dad will probably, if he ever listens to this, will be like, I I, uh, don't think this is true. He'd be like, "Uh, I think that's a lie. So I think, yeah, he would, he would query that, that statement. But yeah, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, no worries at all. So actually also one thing that I think, especially for myself, because I would say that I've definitely, I think I'm more on the extroverted scale. So also one of the reasons why I wanted to start this is also because I really enjoy meeting new people and getting to yeah, getting to know new people and hear their stories and also like now here share their stories and elevate their stories as well. Yeah. And obviously, as you said, like, it's a great opportunity to meet new people, hear different experiences and opinions, because I always enjoy learning and having like a discussion or a debate. So it's a great way. Yeah, it's a great way for me to learn, meet new people and just, yeah, give back. So, yeah. Yeah, because I, as I mentioned, I think creating connections is not necessarily only in the adoptee community, but I think in general, it is something that we as human beings, it's something that 
we want and that we need as well. So it's a very admirable thing of you to do for the adoptee community. So thank you. Thank you very much for that. And I feel like I could talk to you for a very long time, but I think we're going to move on to the rapid fire questions that we have. So let's start out with the first one. Fill in the blank. Being an adoptee is? Interesting. That's a very obtuse answer, but I'm going to go with it. Name one thing you can do to be active or engaged in the adoptee community. Just be active online, I think. That's the main one right now. We're in COVID. So um, yeah, just be active online and reach out to people. So as a very busy person, what's the first thing you do in the morning? Uh, exercise. Or brush, apart from brush my teeth, exercise. Um, if I can, even if it's just 10 minutes of yoga. Oh, yoga is nice. I like mm -hmm. that as well. What's your favorite dish from your culture? Um, there are so many dishes that I love. Uh, wait, is this Chinese culture, like my adoption, adoptive culture or my like birth country culture? What do you consider your culture? Ooh, deep. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess I think I'm going to go with Chinese culture, like, which I think is, is my culture as well. I think, you know, I can, I can have Chinese, British culture, Asian, British culture. So my favorite dish of all time has to be Jen Bing. I love it. It is a savory pancake, which has a crispy cracker inside. And then it has an egg on the outside and some scallions and some seasoning. And I am a vegan, but this is the only dish. Okay, apart from Pad Thai, this is the only dish that I would break my veganism for because it's so yummy. And um, they're usually like 50p or 50 cents in China. But in the UK, it's like five pounds, which is a ripoff, but I'll pay that much for it. That sounds really good. I haven't tried that, but I hope I can do that someday. Definitely. There are some good places in London. I'll check that out next time I'm there. Hopefully it's not too far away. What's a book that you really love? Oh, this is a really hard one. I think... Can I say two? Um, I think the one that really stood out to me when I was younger was called Chinese Cinderella by Adeline Yen Ma. She's not the isn't the, the character of the book isn't adopted, but she's an unwanted daughter in a Hong Kong family. And I think it was very fictionalized from her actual autobiography, which is like a very different story. But it just really it really stood out to me when I was younger because it kind of had that fantasy element to it as well. Of you know, it was also I don't want to spoil anything, but it was also it became like a spy, like a World War II thriller as well. And I think as an adoptee when I was younger, even though I didn't necessarily, you know, want to talk about adoption maybe when I was like 10, it was just a great way for me to kind of find a character in a book that I felt kind of represented me and related to me. And then another fiction book is The Legend Series by Mary Liu. She's an Asian American author. And again, it's just one of those books where you just find representative characters and that just means a lot. And it's a great book as well. So I definitely recommend if you like some young adult dystopian fiction. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. And then finally, what advice would you like to give to young adoptees? I think it's get out of your comfort zone for anything and everything, adoption and non-adoption stuff. I think it took me a long time to gain confidence to step out of my comfort zone. And obviously I'm still, you know, there. I'm still trying to do that now to just challenge myself. But I think you know, whether it's challenging yourself by, you know, talking with your parents about adoption or whether it's, you know, going to travel solo or learn a new language or move to a new country or even just, you know, go to that party that you don't really want to go to. You know, you never know what could happen if you do try that new thing. And I think that was always something I was scared of. I was always scared of failure. And I think I've just had to learn to live with that. 
Awesome. The end. <laughs> I think I think that's a very very good advice. I'm trying to do that as much as possible as well. I even have a poster over there that says life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And I think that's very true. Yeah, definitely. So, thank you Thank you so much, Haname, for joining today. Before we leave, do you have any place where we can connect with all the organizations that you're active in? Yeah, so, um, gosh, it's quite a long list. So let's start with Subtle Asian Adoptive Traits Europe. We're on Facebook as a Facebook group. You just type in the name Subtle Asian Adoptive Traits Europe. You can find us there. And we're also on Instagram at sat underscore Europe. CCI or Chinese Children International is on Instagram as well at CCI underscore adoptees and there's lots of Facebook groups for wherever you are in the world and with Catch All we're also on Facebook as a Facebook page Facebook group and we also have public Instagram which is at catch underscore all underscore org which is a bit of a mouthful but yeah definitely check all of those organizations out because they do amazing work awesome will do again thank you very much anime for joining today and thank you to all the listeners for joining us today as well If you're interested in participating in our T-series or want to be part of our regular episodes, email us at somewhere.between.podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to join our Instagram family at somewherebetween.fam to stay connected with updates, casting calls, and more. See you guys next time and stay engaged. <laughs>